In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where Seatspan meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Caitlin, welcome. It is just us two today, as Amanda's in Mexico. I know. It's very exciting. Good for her. I myself kept a very chill July 4th weekend. Um, Did not do anything special. But, um, I mean, you know, like, uh, there's a whole, like, oh, you know, Black people shouldn't celebrate July 4th thing that kind of popped up on Twitter for a second. I'm not that person. That is not my energy. But, you know, I I kept it very, very low key, Um, except that the neighborhood was full of fireworks the entire time. Of course. Well, you know, it's like interesting because, yes, there there was that whole moment of like, no, like anti July 4th on Twitter, which I also definitely observed. But I even feel like just as a person who's existing on that weekend, it's an incredibly expensive, incredibly busy weekend. And you could probably have just as much fun like this weekend. Yeah. The only thing that's missing is the three day weekend. But you know me, I'm out here being like, why don't we have four day work weeks? Yup. I mean, just take your just take your PTO and, and go on. And go on a less populous weekend. Exactly. Okay. So the first thing we want to talk about is that we um, have a an official candidate for New York City mayor on the Democratic side. And um, it's Eric Adams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know you have I know you have very strong feelings on this, so I'm just gonna let you take it away. Um Well, I mean, the biggest thing is uh, that, you know, Eric Adams is a someone that like my family in particular has been very engaged with over his political career um, because we've always been like um, around his districts and like like close to to where he's um, come through. And of course, um, he was Brooklyn Borough president. So you know, that's my fam right there, Brooklyn forever. Um, Which means like uh, the downside of local politics is that you know everybody too too much. And you're kind of like, oh, ew. Um, (laughs) It's kind of like 20 years into a relationship where there's nothing that scares you anymore because you're just kind of like, oh yeah, they do that thing, gross, whatever. (laughs) So, So what do you think about this narrative that's been forming 
because after all the ranked choice votes were tallied, he and Catherine Garcia were like a margin of one percentage point away from each other. And they were both a bit more moderate. Um, They beat out Maya Wiley, obviously, and Diane Morales. So like people are saying a lot of people are saying that this is a rebuke of like the young, younger liberal wing of the party that sort of like in, exists on Twitter and that people really actually want moderate politics in the city. Well, that's completely ridiculous. And um, I wrote too many years ago now, like three or four years ago, I wrote this whole idea of like Democrats localizing and making it about local issues. And the thing about localizing and local democratic races is that it really comes down to the individuals in those races. And it's not about the national framing of politics, which is the way a lot of national pundits love like trying to impose some sort of rational order on this. you know, as a patron. But uh, if you go on my Patreon, I kind of explain a little bit more, but I'm just going to say this was a a competence, not a ideology. You know, this is not about agreeing with the the candidate's policies as much as people preferring someone who has government experience, who, um, and, and you can see that with how narrow it is. I mean, people are out here running around being like, Eric Adams shows that black people are super conservative. It's like black people are pragmatic. They have a candidate. There were two other black candidates in this race, both of whom got a big chunk of votes because Eric Adams had to have gotten a big chunk of the Wiley vote or Wiley voters had to have preferred her um, with, and, and not Catherine Garcia. Um, in order for this to shake out the way it did. And so it's, it's just, it really comes down to like, yeah, people are like, oh, no, no more defund the police because it can't even work in a city like New York. And I'm like, that, if, if they had framed those messages to actually activate the communities that they needed for a winning coalition, it would not look like this. But because everybody was so focused on the national framing and you know, especially Andrew Yang and my Wiley. And there's very last minute endorsements of Wiley because there is still some choosing over who was going to be strong enough to carry the race um, for the progressive wing. If that happens two weeks earlier, I think we're in a different discussion. If it happened, if uh, Wiley and Garcia make an agreement that, you know, if Wiley says, I'll rank you, I'll have my people rank you number two, you have your people rank me number two. That way, if either of us gets eliminated, at least Adams is out of the, the equation. That discussion didn't happen. Like RCV was such a huge thing here. And it's wild to me that people are kind of discounting it. Right. I think that's actually a great point that clearly many people, clearly many people preferred Eric Adams to Catherine Garcia if they were, if their first choice was Maya Wiley and that's sort of borne out in how this data ended up. But um, yeah, I think something you once said like a few weeks ago about how just like there weren't really any like stars in the race made it very hard to make it um, like a race that's like based on that person's ideology. Cause it was really just, um, I don't know. I feel like, this race felt like such an inevitability to me. It was like, oh, Yang will inevitably win. And then Adams was the inevitable winner. And it felt like the only person who could win was someone who was acknowledged in advance to have a chance of winning. 
Yeah, I think there's a certain inevitability track, but I also think that like a huge, a lot of damage was done by this campaign kind of having all the oxygen sucked out of it by Andrew Yang. Um, instead of really focusing on communities and talking to communities. Um, and there was never, again, people really did a lot of heavy lifting on the ideology stuff, but it overwhelmingly came down to whether or not you personally liked the candidates. I had, I, I've admitted many times, I had personal issues with Maya Wiley, didn't keep me from ranking her, but like, I'm also a person who's like very invested in politics. If you're just kind of passively watching, then you kind of end up going with like, who appeals to you the most rather because you haven't had as much intimacy with these candidates. I think if there had been a, there's, there's a New York magazine article that came out about Eric Adams, like literally the weekend before. Yeah. I read that one. (laughs) Election day. And if that had come out two weeks beforehand, that fundamentally reshapes, I think the final run up, I think a lot of people, pull that vote back or they go with someone else it's just it's that simple it really right. is or like had that he doesn't really live in new york thing come out a bit earlier that like that didn't come out early enough for it to be viral like it was too close to the race yeah but i also think a lot of people again once persona enters into it it really is more about whether or not that's going to knock you that someone else is going to be more appealing and uh, people kind of need to go the opposite direction than they normally do. We're always thinking about like, what do I like about this person? Instead you have to think about it as like disgust. Like, is this <laughs> enough to make this person be like, I can't vote for you. Cause there's nobody again that right. people were super excited about. Like I didn't see a lot of heavy enthusiasm across the board. There were more people involved because RCV and know that a lot of people are like, there was such a low turnout. Like this was a higher turnout than the presidential primary. Like this was one of the highest turnouts in New York in 10 years. Like people are really going to lengths to try to impose national stuff on this. I'm not saying it was amazing turnout. We should be super excited, but it's pretty good for a city that's been pummeled by a fucking pandemic that's in true. a non-presidential race. Right. That's true. I and and in a year where like no one wants to pay attention to the news anymore because they're really tired. Like that's just kind of the reality. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? 
I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Okay, let's move on to our second story. We want to talk about Nicole Hannah-Jones getting joining Howard University after kind of going through a bit of a shitstorm with UNC Chapel Hill and their willingness to offer her tenure. So just for the sake of anyone who hasn't been following the story back in April, Nicole Hannah Jones, who you would probably know is the creator of the 1619 project. She was announced to be set to join UNC school of journalism and media as the night chair in race and investigative journalism. So like very legit position, desirable, um, but in reaction, conservatives and particularly, I believe, UNC donors had raised concerns about her credentials and about the 1619 project in general. Um, they obviously were not pleased with her reexamination of the legacy of slavery in the United States, although she won a Pulitzer Prize for that. So objectively, you know, pretty good. She also won the MacArthur Genius Grant in 2017. She has a resume. Um and basically what the the source of the controversy is, is that traditionally people who are appointed chairs of that school at UNC are awarded tenure upon appointment. But amidst these concerns about her track record, the university, which is her alma mater, I should add, um, instead offered her a five-year contract without tenure. And anyone who follows this um, knows that this is ridiculous. They were There was obviously outrage from the community and um, from the student body and really anyone who was paying attention to this. Eventually, last week, UNC finally voted to include tenure in her offer. But yesterday she said, fuck you. And she announced that she will be joining Howard University instead. Um, and she said that the decision has been difficult, and the, but that the treatment by UNC has been deeply painful. So that is the breakdown of what happened. Um, I'll, again, I'll let you take it. <laughs> yeah. I think it was really interesting that like the one of the big responses I saw from a lot of um, particularly black women, professional black women in journalism and media um, who have their own space and their own companies was the idea of not going where you're tolerated, but going where you're wanted, um, where you're going to be encouraged and supported and Nicole Hannah-Jones said that it wasn't her job to heal the University of North Carolina. 
And I think that that's like, that was just like so profound as a statement. First of all, to just be like, well, I'm a baller. So I'm just going to go like entertain other proposals while y'all are going to mess around with me because she was the only, all the previous chairs had been white and they'd all been offered tenure and it hadn't even been a question. I'm sure if you look back at their scholarship, there's plenty of stuff in there that would make you wait, say like, I'm sorry, what? But only Nicole Hannah-Jones had the question over whether or not she was going to get tenure because the UNC board is, uh, there it might be it might have it might have a bunch of racists on it let's just toss that one out there yeah i mean i mean honestly like the whole good for her for being like for entertaining other offers like and basically saying like you do not control my future and my legacy and like obviously she probably saw the writing on the wall like if this is what we're starting if this is like starting offer this is going to be a nightmare and like why would i want to deal with that for my mental health and here's the other piece that like UNC, maybe they haven't caught on to this, but I do believe they will. Someone will eventually look back on this perspective. Nicole Hannah-Jones is like, she's not just like some random person. She is like the Beyonce of what she does. And the fact that she is not being appreciated for who she was is patently ridiculous. And if they don't see that or they're afraid of like this donor, and I'm sure it was just like one really rich guy I, or two, who knows? Like if they don't see that, then that is their loss. And that is Howard's gain. And I do want to say one thing about like tenure, the specific, the specificity of what was missing from her offer, which was tenure. It wasn't, this isn't a pay gap issue. This isn't like a, policy like a a random policy issue this is tenure and tenure is like one of the probably top reasons why people pursue academia so that they can get the stability of working with like a research institution that supports them and that is like inherent to the path of 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 that of what she's doing and this and the and the um the reason and like the meaning of them saying we will give you all this but no tenure is essentially like them trying to destabilize her because if you don't have tenure, then you're always like, is this okay? Is that okay? What, what should I say? Can I get in trouble for saying that? The point of tenure is so people can't get in trouble for, for what they said really. And th- what they're essentially what they're communicating by not giving that to her is that you need to watch what you say. Exactly. They're also saying like, that she, not just the instability, but that they are the ones in control and not her, that she exists at their whim, even though they invited her and this is an honor, that there's a, definitely a sense, um, you know, like one of the ways that uh, racism manifests in that systemic way is this notion of jobs or opportunities to black people that we've earned being a gift like a thing that can be pulled away, like, oh, aren't you so grateful that we do this for you? Like, that's not how, I'm, I really appreciate that she was like, that's not how this works. I'm extremely valuable. I know my worth. And this is true for like, not just black people. This is true for every marginalized identity. This is true for women. This is true for like, it's across uh, uh, like all of those intersections. If you often are told like, you're just lucky to be here. 
And she was like, that is not true. I am amazing. Like, so one of the biggest issues is the sense of wanting to not just be in control, but to make it clear that resources are going to be the way that they use control and use power. I do think one thing that they are, the whole conservative uh, wing, what they're actually doing, I think, is that they're sort of immortalizing her because this 1619 project, like no one's, the, the, the hullabaloo that they're making about critical race theory and the 1619 project is actually just increasing the importance of it. Because again, when you ban a book, the book becomes legendary. Like, like, all they're doing, if they had just been like, you know what, we can allow this view, this view into the mainstream and let it be like an existing legitimate view in academia about that historians teach. If they had just like kind of been chill about it, people would, it would remain this like esoteric viewpoint that no one talks that like, you only know if you're really like studied in this but because they will not shut the fuck up about it. Now it's like it get, gains more attention. People read it. They're like, oh, this actually like has a point. And it creates defenders for it, which is a good thing. But, you know, obviously not what they want to happen. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think there's a bigger issue is that they're, they're trying to lift up this. I don't know if it would be niche. I think that there's a, I mean, it it was a New York Times published story. They're trying to build a curriculum around it, which I think all of which is accurate. Maybe niche is not the, the, maybe niche is not the right word because I don't think it would be niche, but it would just be like not, it wouldn't be like a lightning rod. It's true that they made it a lightning rod, but that always worries me a little bit because conservatives never do this. Like this was, this was coordinated. This was thought out. They, there's never an effort to make something a lightning rod that's like unintentional. What happens is, is that they're trying to lift it up so that way they can use the, the cultural and financial powers that they have right now, just like they did at UNC, whatever, to make people pick sides and to force this thing to be something that people, I'm not going to say that defending it is wrong, but it's, it's very... It always strikes me as interesting that conservatives are all about the marketplace of ideas, unless that idea would challenge their mythologies, at which point that thing has to go and they need to leverage everything they can to, to kill the idea. And they're working on trying to do that by associating it as like this concept that's super radical, super far, super outrageous, make people like not even consider touching it or reading it who really do need to see it and preventing new generations of children from seeing it. But the, the, the reality is, is like we live in an internet age. This is not like textbook land anymore where that level of control is shaping everything. You have a smartphone. Congratulations. You can read whatever you want. Right. I really do feel that they have, they've done more to raise the profile of the 1619 project than anyone else. Like I, I, I I do feel like people who don't pay attention know about it now. And like generally the thesis much more than they would have if if it did not become a, a, an argument, a point of argument. And yeah, I think that 
she is going to continue to obviously make a huge mark. And this, I think, is kind of going to be one of those like stories that it's like that was dumb of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways um, it's exciting to get picked on by the right wing because you know that you're it like that means you you know you're doing something right you know like if they're freaking out like probably something right is going on because like you're you're messing with them (laughs) do you you think it is possible for once the like the cat is out of the bag with this like perspective on our country's history do you think it's ever gonna go back in like do you think there's ever going to be like a cohesive narrative of this country that does not acknowledge the realities of what critical that critical race theory does i mean that's a tough question to ask because it's oh like this perspective has always been here like sojourner had speeches frederick Douglass had speeches W.E. Du Bois, Ida Wells Barnett. Like, we can go through the legacy of journalists, um, writers, thinkers who put together a view of American history that includes the perspective of enslaved people and their descendants and what it means to have not come here voluntarily, but effectively been kidnapped and culturally stripped and have to rebuild in bondage. And I know they managed to figure out how to make the lost cause powerful enough to get some crazy yahoos to smash the fucking capital six months ago. So anything is possible, you know? Right. <laughs> well, we will be here. To trying to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound great. Okay. <laughs> okay. That is our show for today. Until the end of democracy. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this has been the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.